Good morning, everyone. My name's Eric, the pastor here at Trinity. First of all, just want to reiterate how excited we are. Darian mentioned that we have two new candidates that will be up for election in a few weeks here for the office of elder. And just want to pause right there and say we are grateful for what God is doing in building leadership here at Trinity and building that team. So we are excited for that. I also want to say um, the sound has been sounding, the music has been sounding incredible. We, we've been having some technical difficulties the past few months, so I just want to acknowledge the team has been incredible. And Garrett and Phil just put all their expertise into the board, and so it's sounding awesome. Thank you, Phil. If you see Phil, if you see Garrett, say thank you, because I think we're past. Yeah, there we go. I think we're past the technical difficulty stage. So this morning, we are continuing in our series that we've been going through to begin the new year. We've called it Gospel Rhythms, and the Gospel Rhythms are six of the most important ways that we orient our whole lives, our everyday lives around Jesus and around the mission that He's called us to. So these rhythms are not really a class. They're not really, really an event or a program or a study that we take or that we do and then move on to something else. These are habits to embrace, to practice in our everyday life, to continually grow and to stretch in as we follow Jesus. So if we could have that slide where we have all the rhythms there. We've gone through a number of these. Um, we've gone through four, and we're going to be on the fifth one this morning. These are the six habits that as we have been shown grace, we respond to that grace in these six ways. The word habit, I think, is, is a good word to describe these things. There's a book, maybe you've heard of it, it's called The Power of Habit by an author named Charles Duhigg. It's a pretty popular Amazon pick right now. And in that book, I've been reading some of that, he says the golden rule of habit change is you can't extinguish a bad habit, you can only change it. And that made me think, in the church and as pastors, sometimes we're better at telling people to stop bad habits, stop anger, stop lust, stop greed, stop worrying, stop gossiping. We're saying extinguish or stop these things, but we haven't been as good at providing the training or the instruction for the new habits that replace these old habits that we want to characterize our lives. How do we cultivate these? How do we cultivate these and how do they bring change into our lives? So that's the gospel rhythms. These six rhythms right here, they're not new or groundbreaking things. These are really my attempt to kind of repackage the ancient practices and wisdom of the Christian church and to look at these afresh for us today and to ask how do we embrace these things? What does it look like in our lives if we would form our lives around these practices and cultivate these things? So today we're going to look at the first one there on that list, the rhythm of giving. The practice of regularly and intentionally giving blessing to other people in our lives through our words, through our actions, or through gifts. Out of all these six gospel rhythms, this is probably the most simple and it's probably the easiest one for us to do. Yet it has incredible 
power to draw us closer to God, and as we practice this, to draw others closer to God through us. This is what Peter is saying in that passage that we just heard read. We're going to look at three points in, as we explore this rhythm of giving blessing. In order for us to become people who regularly bless the other people in our lives with our words, actions, and gifts, I think we need to look at three different things that Peter walks us through. First, we need to examine our vision of the good life. Second, we need to hear the call to a new vision of the good life. And thirdly, we need to develop a future vision of the good life. So first, point one, our vision of the good life. In order to become a person or a church that's regularly giving blessing to other people, the first thing we have to look at is this question of our vision of the good life. Look at verse 10 with me again. There it says, whoever wants to love life and see good days. We'll stop right there. Who wants to love life and see good days? Say, yes. I want that. Sign me up for that. I'm paying attention now. We all have a picture. Everybody has a picture of the good life that we have in our minds. Maybe it's not so developed, but when we think about this is the life that I would love to be living, this would be living the dream for me. I want you to kind of picture that in your mind right now. There's a website, Business Insider, and I came across this slideshow of 15 people who are living the dream. I want to share a few of these people on this slideshow. There's a guy who is, the, is ESPN's resident fantasy sports expert. So he makes a living doing fantasy sports. He's living the dream. There's a CEO on there who runs his whole business from his yacht. So he's just living the dream out on the open sea. Then there's these three guys, they live in Mexico together, and they hang out all the time, and they got rich from playing online poker. That's them living the dream. And then there's another, there's a woman on there, she's the highest earning female poker player of all time. I don't know what it is with poker and living the dream, but they had two people in there, and she's even started her own civil rights foundation, so she's making a difference that way. What's your, what's your vision for the good life? I'll share a little bit of mine. Ten years ago, Amelia and I, we got to get away for, not ten years ago, on our ten-year anniversary. So it was seven years ago that we got to do this. We got to get away from our children and go to Hawaii. First time to Hawaii, we went to Maui. And when I think of that, it's like this dream, living the dream life, that we were just in a beautiful place, on the beach, no work, just reading books for fun with my beautiful wife, living the dream. And so you might say, that's not a very pastorly or spiritual dream, is it, pastor? And I would say, it isn't. But that's why I need to hear this passage just as much as anybody. In verse 10, Peter is actually quoting from another place in Scripture, Psalm 34. And he doesn't start with Psalm 34, verse 1. We actually read that for our call to worship. He chooses to start his quotation right in the middle of this psalm with this phrase, whoever wants to love life. And see good days. Very, very intentional on Peter's part because of who he was writing to. The people to whom he was writing were struggling to make sense about how, how their new Christian faith, these were new Christians, how their new Christian faith matched up with their vision of the good life. And so 3, verses 8 through 12, what we just heard read is a summary, is a conclusion statement. He says in verse 8, finally... So this is a wrap-up 
section in the letter. And it's wrapping up a section that started in 2.11 and goes all the way to chapter 3, verse 7. And in this previous section, Peter is addressing four of the main places where we look for the good life. I'm going to put a slide up so we can track with these things. These four things that he talks about, the four Ps we'll call them, place, politics, profession, and, and our partners. So he talks about place. He talks about how to handle feeling like exiles to these new Christians. They were feeling alienated. They were feeling not at home in the places they lived all their lives. He talks about politics in 2, 13 through 17. How to respond in a difficult political situation when you're living under political leadership with whom you disagree. He moves on and he talks about profession. How to respond in difficulties in the workplace. He's talking about slaves and masters in that context, but it applies to any marketplace situation. And then he moves on and he talks about our partners. How to handle difficulties in marriage. Place, politics, profession, partners. Instead of experiencing the good life in these areas, the people to whom Peter was writing to, the audience, they were experiencing difficulties, obstacles, frustrations. In some ways, these things were harder for them because they had become followers of Jesus. And so they had this underlying confusion. I believe in Jesus now. I'm a Christian now, so why isn't God giving me the good life? What's happening? It's not working. And so as Peter comes to the conclusion after this section, he's bringing it all together. And he's saying, in summary, in conclusion, what you need to see is Jesus came to give you a new vision of the good life. This week, as I was doing my study, I came across something at uh, University of California, Berkeley. Okay, Berkeley grads. I don't know if you knew this, but there is a center there called the Greater Good Science Center. So they do scientific research into social and emotional well-being, asking the question, how can science help us understand what the good life is and how we can get there and live it? So an article on their website references in this international comparison study of the happiness of people living in different nations. And so America, they found, ranked 25th in the world, two places behind Rwanda, just for a frame of reference. And so they're asking, how can a country of such relative wealth and prosperity, abundance, resources, opportunity, how are we 25th in the world? It seems like we should be a little bit higher than that. There's another study there where they were uh, also interviewing participants from all over the world, and they were given a questionnaire that asked them two things. One was, how highly did they value happiness as an explicit goal? How highly did they evaluate, evaluate their happiness as an explicit goal? And two, how happy were they with their lives? And what they found was, surprisingly, the higher the respondents rated happiness as a distinct ambition in their lives, the less happy were their, were their lives in general. And the more likely they were to experience symptoms of dissatisfaction and even depression. They found the more people valued and were encouraged to value happiness as a separate life goal, the less happy people were. And so, the studies show us a couple of things. The dominant vision of the good life in America is based on what we can get, how we can acquire, how we can consume, and how we make it our ambition to get 
happiness from life. That's the good life vision. The second thing it shows us is as long as this is our vision of the good life, even from this scientific community, it says we're going to get further and further away from the experience of loving life and seeing good days. We need a different vision. So what is the vision of the good life? One of Peter's goals in writing 1 Peter, I think, was to provide this vision. He says, in order to live life not disillusioned, not disappointed, with great purpose, to love life, to see good days, you need to see how Christianity offers a new and better vision of the good life. And in verse 9, if you look there with me, he tells us what that is. We might miss it at first because it's all captured in one important word, and that word is bless. He says, on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called. This is Christianity's new vision of the good life, the life of blessing. And this completely alters how we approach those four Ps and the rest of life, not as things where we look to get the good life from, but as arenas where we give blessing into. And as we do this, we begin to love life and see good days. As we talk about blessing, I think we need to ask a couple questions to wrap our minds around what this means. One, what does it mean to bless? Two, how do we bless practically? And what happens, thirdly, when we bless? So what does it mean to bless? The word bless or the word blessing is a kind of, it's kind of a sentimental a little bit of a shallow word in our culture, the way we use it. I grew up in Jacksonville, and that's kind of the South, so there's a phrase there that people say, well, bless your heart. Bless your heart. And sometimes that's a nice way of saying, oh, you know, I value, that's good, that's good. And sometimes it's just a way of saying, moving on from you, bless your heart. Yeah, let's move on from that. So it can be patronizing. We say bless you right there when people sneeze, bless you. It's just kind of a reaction that we have. Or we say we're... we're Blessed when we're just experiencing life going relatively well. But blessed is one of the most substantial and important words in all of the Bible. Two pictures to define what blessing is. A wedding and water. Wedding first. Bless, I said, is a key word at the beginning of the Bible. In Genesis 1, the first page of the Bible, God blesses the animals. God blesses humanity. He says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. God blessed them and said that. And then God blessed the day. He blessed the seventh day and made it holy. As a pastor, as I officiate wedding ceremonies, the last thing I say is, and now by the virtue of the authority invested in me, I now pronounce you man and wife. Kiss the bride. And I'm always struck by that. Like 10 seconds before, the couple wasn't married and now they're married. How did that happen? There was a pronouncement, an authoritative pronouncement was made, and now that state of affairs is different. It was one thing, and now it's another. That helps us see what blessing is in the Bible. In all the examples in Genesis 1, God, God's blessing was a pronouncement with power. God pronounced the blessing, and it came with the power to fulfill His purpose. So moving ahead a couple slides, if we can click to what it means to bless, first part of that definition would be blessing is God's empowerment to live as He designed us 
to live. Second picture, water. But when humanity sinned, blessings opposite entered into the world. And a whole new dynamic was entered into human experience, and that's called the curse. The curse is the unraveling, the undoing of life as God intends. In Genesis 12, God introduces his strategy to deal with the curse. He comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And in you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Through Abraham and God's plan with Abraham, he says, I am going to reverse the curse. By blessing you, and then through you, you will bring my blessing, and you will reverse the curse in all the nations. I think First Peter is echoing this. He says, those who obtain a blessing are called to bless. So water. To hold water in one place and to keep it there is to become a stagnant pond. But to let water flow through you is to become a life-giving channel, a life-giving river. Blessing is always meant to be that river. Richard Baucom, in his book, The Bible and Mission, he says this. He says, God's blessing of people overflows in their blessing of others. And those who experience blessing from God in turn bless God which means that they give all that creatures really can give to God, thanksgiving and praise. So it's this cycle of blessing. Blessing is God's call, there it is on the screen, to all who receive His blessing. It's His empowerment, it's also a calling. When we bless others, we give them a taste, we give them a glimpse of life as God intended it to be lived. That's what it is, but how do we... Give blessing. What does it look like practically? I think Peter is helping us out. His quote from Psalm 34 gives us some practical things. This is what it looks like to bless other people in verses 10 and verse 11. We give blessing to others through our words, our actions, and our gifts. Through words. Verse 10, Peter says, keep our tongues from evil and our mouths from speaking deceit. He's, he's focusing in on our words. Our words have great power to curse, or to bless. Words of blessing, they really have the power to last a lifetime, to bring encouragement and affirmation to someone else. When we were moving here, I was going through all my papers and files, and I found this this paper, a 17-year-old paper. It was something that was written to me by my boss at the time when I was working with crew at Cal Poly Pomona. And he had put together this, this one-page vision document for me. There was like 25 affirmations there of me, of things he saw in me, went through, 25 words or phrases. And then there were four or five things that I needed to work on. But I pulled that out, and I looked at it, and I haven't been in touch with him for many years, and I was encouraged. The places where I have doubts and insecurities, this 17-year-old piece of paper, These words of blessing affirmed and encouraged me. This is the power of blessing people with our words. We bless people anytime we affirm them. Anytime we encourage or share the good we see in other people. So we bless with words. We also bless with actions. In verse 11, there's a very general phrase there. Peter says, turn from evil and do good. Do good. What does that look like? That's a very, very broad um, phrase. Do good, I think, is twofold. First, it's when we 
sacrificially serve others with our actions. We put the good of another person, we put the good of the group before our own good, and we act, and we bless. The other aspect of doing good is giving gifts. There's a power in just giving simple gifts to another person. Uh, A couple years ago, one Sunday after a Sunday service in San Diego, I was talking to someone about one of my favorite topics, and that was coffee. And they were sharing with me how they brew their coffee in the morning with this thing called the AeroPress. And so I was getting all excited. I was like, what is this AeroPress? Tell me more. Tell me more. And he was like, you just get it on Amazon. That's how you get it. And so, okay, then. I like, that's I got to go get one of those. So the next day on Monday, I show up in my office and there's a box on my desk and it's an AeroPress. And I'm like, yes, this is a blessing. Experiencing life as God intends with good coffee. But I won't forget that. Every time I use my AeroPress, I think of this friend. These small and thoughtful gifts shows people, I value you. You are important to me. And that's powerful. Words, actions, gifts, simple but powerful. Anytime we do those things, we give people a taste and a glimpse of life as God intends. A life centered on grace. On, forgive, on forgiveness, on love and service. Third question when it comes to blessing, well, what happens when we give blessing? Peter is showing us that when we give blessing, the cycles of sin and evil are reversed. People are drawn closer to God, and we ourselves are, in fact, drawn closer to God. In verse 11, Peter says, Let him seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears open to their prayers. Who wants to love life and see a good day? Seek peace and pursue it. Peace here is not simply just the absence of conflict. This is another one of these big words in the Bible. The Hebrew concept of peace, the Hebrew word for peace, you may have heard it, is shalom. It's wholeness. It's harmony in all our relationships. Jeremiah 29.7 says something very similar. There, Jeremiah said, Seek the peace of the city where I, have call, where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, or shalom, you will find your own peace, or shalom. It's the giving of blessing. These simple acts of giving blessing restores shalom to the city to our communities, and our relationships. Peter is saying something that's so contrary to most of our visions of the good life because he's saying here that the best opportunities for us to learn to live this new vision are when our dreams of the good life are being shattered. They're being frustrated. Because what happens when the good life we are seeking from the place we live, from politics, from our profession, or from our partner, when it doesn't happen and we instead encounter difficulties, obstacles, and obstructions to the good life, what happens then? I think we usually react in one of two ways. Peter says one of them in verse 9. He says, don't repay and don't revile for reviling. That's where the cycle of sin starts and the breakdown of relationships. We have a desire to get something out of life and it doesn't happen. Someone blocks that. Someone prevents that desire. And so we repay. So we demean or criticize 
those whom we disagree with politically. At work, we gossip, sabotage, criticize our coworkers or our bosses. In our marriages, when we're hurt or disappointed, we respond with harsh words and tones back. This creates a cycle of repayment and a spiral of distance away, the breakdown of peace and shalom. We might not be actively repaying, but often instead of the active repaying, we passively retreat. We say, maybe I need to move. New city, new neighborhood, new house. I'll just withdraw from political engagement and civic and community life. Forget that. Or in our profession, we say, I'm just going to dream of a new job. I'm going to apply somewhere else. Career change is what I need, or I'm just going to check out. Or in our marriages or in our relationships, we think, maybe I married the wrong person. We go cold. We give up. Stop trying. On a macro level, this type of repayment and retreat, that's how wars start between nations. That's how company cultures become toxic and unhealthy. On a more personal level, this is how marriages break down and end. And how family conflicts lead to estrangement. When something wrong is done, when something wrong is said, there's repayment. Something wrong is said and something wrong is done back. It creates that spiral unless something breaks the cycle. And Peter is saying that something is blessing. When our good life dreams are shattered, instead of repaying, instead of retreating, giving blessing has the power to break this cycle and break through with shalom, with peace. And surprisingly, it moves us closer to the good life, the loving life, and seeing good days. Let's try to imagine this in practice. What might this look like? Let's go back to these four Ps. Let's start with politics, and we'll just, we could go either way on this, but we'll go with, with the Republicans here. What if on Monday, the Republicans said, this is getting out of hand, it's very divisive, this is just not a good situation, it's too charged, it's too volatile, so let, let's, Republican Party, let's take a whole month and this will be a Bless the Democrats month. What we're going to do is we're going to speak only good of them. We're going to serve them. We're going to get behind all their projects and do whatever we can to help them succeed. What would happen if that actually happened? The world would end. I don't know. You could go back. You could reverse it and have the Democrats as well. That's what giving blessing can look like. What about the place we live? Let's say an individual or a family, we said, we'll take one month and we're going to pray every day this month, Lord, who do you want us to bless? Let's go out of our way to greet people. Let's not close the garage. Let's look for ways we can help and serve our neighbors. Let's surprise all of our block, our cul-de-sac with a gift. Let's see what happens. What about in your workplace? The person who is giving you the hardest time right now. I want you to picture that person. It might be painful. Picture that person. I know it's hard. What if I said this week, what if you said this week, I'm not going to speak ill of this person. I'm not going to think ill of this person. I'm not going to be negative or critical about this person. I'm going to bless them. I'm going to bless them to their face and to others. I'm going to help them with their work. I'm going to find out what they need, and I'm going to help them get what they need so they can succeed. How might that impact your workplace in your relationship with that person? 
How about your partner if you're married? Say, this week, this month, I'm not going to defend myself. I'm not going to respond. I'm going to take this week, this month, I'm going to bless my spouse every day. I'm going to encourage them for who they are. I'm not going to criticize them for who they are not. I'm going to find one big way to serve them, something I usually don't do, and I'm going to surprise them and bless them. How might that impact your marriage? What about as a church? What if we decided we're going to commit together prayerfully to seek three people to bless every week? This is what we're going to do as a church. There's about 95 to 100 people here in this room right now. 300 people every week being blessed. How might that impact how people view what the church is and what it means to be a Christian? A few verses later, in 1 Peter 3.15, Peter says, If you do this, people are going to start asking you to give an answer for the hope that's within you. You have a different vision of the good life. What is it? You're weird. Peter says that's going to happen. Last point. A future vision of the good life, the power to bless. In verse 9, Peter says, Bless, for to this you were called that you might obtain a blessing. A better translation, some use this word instead of obtain, is the word inherit. Inherit. I don't think Peter is saying we earn this inheritance by practicing blessing. I think he's pointing us to the power we need to bless others, to overcome our self-focus in building a good life for ourselves, by pointing us to our future inheritance. Back at the beginning of 1 Peter, Peter says, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. Same word. That's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Two things about an inheritance. An inheritance is not something you earn. It's something you're born into. It's not something you earn. It's something you get by virtue of your family. So I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you open the mail one day and there's a letter. It says, this is from Warren Buffett to you. And in that letter, he says, I have decided to make you a part of my will. So you will be receiving an inheritance. I don't know what you might think about that. But it might just change the way you think about using your resources, how generous you might be, how you might be even willing to risk with what you have. An inheritance, a future vision of the good life, frees us to be bold and sacrificial, to live a life for the blessing of others because it gives us an eternal perspective. We don't have to get it all now. We've been called to give. There's a quote from C.S. Lewis. Maybe you've heard it before, but it fits so well here. I've put it up there if you can read it. I'm going to read it right now. It says this. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set, foot on, the, who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. 
Aim at heaven, and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. And Peter is saying, this is the incredible power for us to bless. Our vision of the future good life. As we wrap up, it is very fitting for us to celebrate communion together this morning in light of this message. Communion is a visible reminder to us so that we can remember the extent of what we've been given. It shows us this is the blessing that has been given to you. I want to share one more quote with you. There's a piece of this quote that I think puts it so powerfully. This is from a commentary on this passage. This author, Douglas Harnick, says, By repaying evil and abuse with blessing, we participate already in God's economy of blessing. That is neither an easy nor a cheap response to those who would undermine shame or attack us. Here's the part, underline. It may cost us much, but it will never cost us more than we have already been given. God's blessing and our share in it is that grace abounding that ultimately overcomes evil's economy of lack and retribution. It is that overflowing of the fullness of divine life that will bring into being the final and original human community. Communion reminds us what we have already been given. It's also a picture of how blessing comes through brokenness. In Matthew 26, 26, Jesus says as his disciples were eating this meal with him, after blessing the bread, he took the bread and after blessing it, he broke it. And then he gave it to the disciples. Our blessing comes from him being broken for us. That's often how blessing comes into the world, through our brokenness, broken people giving blessing. We can only live the, the new vision for the good life to bless because Jesus lived it for us. I want to close by reading earlier in 1 Peter chapter 2. He said this, For this you've been called. Same thing he said in our passage. For to this you've been called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example, so you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. So let's be reminded of the blessing we've been given. Let us come, even though we might be broken and wounded, and let us come in great faith. That even during this time, Jesus brings great healing to us. He meets us with blessing in this meal so that we might be full and give blessing to others. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage. It is, it is challenging. It is also very inviting. We thank you that you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Sometimes we don't see it. Sometimes we don't feel it. 
Sometimes we live in our frustration and disappointment and we wonder, why, why isn't it working? But I pray you would renew in us the vision of the good life. The incredible reality that we have a secure inheritance because of what Jesus has done for us. The incredible reality that we always have your affirmation and loving words so we can give those loving words. That you have shown us through your action how much you love us. You have served us. That you have given us the greatest gift at great cost to yourself so that we can give. Meet us now at this table. Meet us now in this time. I pray you would bring that healing grace to us as we come. Strengthen our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.